All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome on this uh, quite warm Sunday morning, and uh, glad that everybody's here, and, and certainly, hopefully, looking forward to worshiping our Lord together. Uh, in typical fashion, the way that we're going to start off is going to ask you to look at the very back page of the bulletin uh, that's there by your seats. Just going to go over a couple announcements, nothing really large. Uh, as we all kind of know, many people are on vacation, and certainly uh, we hope that for all those that are not with us that this is a, a great time of relaxation and rejuvenation. Certainly hope that for Sam and, and Angela and the children, and certainly hope that you're praying for them as, uh, as they travel away. Uh, just a couple things, just in terms of fellowship activities. Um, over the summer, I know a lot of our small groups, you know, basically take some time off, but the men's Bible study, that will continue. Uh, I believe they met yesterday, but they will be meeting uh, on the second and fourth Saturdays, again, through the summer in July. That's at Saturday mornings from 7.30 to 9 a.m. Uh, the next announcement is with respect to Vacation Bible School, again, um, just certainly thankful for all those that have signed up and that are going to be a part of this wonderful outreach, not only to the children of this church, but for the children in this community uh, to be able to hopefully, one, share the gospel, allow uh, those young ones to hear, right, the good news. And then secondarily, you know, what we're trying to communicate to them about the armor of God and the things that the Lord equips us with, right, to deal with the trials and the temptations of this world. So we're, we're certainly looking forward to that event uh, this summer. Again, it's from August 9 through the 13th. Uh, big things, though, right? Registration forms can be found downstairs. Um, along with that, right, you can see that it looks like August 8th, there's going to be some decoration and some practices for those that are going to be involved in the various uh, activities that are going to be planned. So um, the other thing that I do want to note with that, though, is if you are serving, remember, we are working with little ones and certainly um, I know we all love talking about laws, and certainly I know you all love lawyers. Um, we do have to comply with the state's requirements with clearances and making sure that we have all those. So if you are volunteering, please make sure uh, that you get that to Allison. I think Allison will probably likely be chasing you down, but help her out um, and be proactive in making sure that she has those clearances. Uh, next thing I want to highlight is the Donegal Food Bank. Uh, the next uh, service opportunity, right, is at the end of the summer. It's August 25th. I believe that's a Tuesday or a Wednesday. I always get a little confused, but that's from 1.30 to 3.30. Uh, certainly see Gene Shawarn if that's something that you want to be a part of. Next announcement, right, just every Sunday, things that are going on with the church, right? There is a prayer meeting at 9.15 each morning. would certainly encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, the next thing is, is just, again, uh, there are many new faces, certainly people's contact information changes. We would want to make sure that uh, if any of those things have happened, that you would also be in touch with Allison uh, so that we can have those things updated uh, to make sure that we can contact you. I know certainly as an elder, when we're praying and trying to contact folks, it's important to have good information. So if you could provide that to Allison, that would be wonderful. And the last announcement just simply is here, items of importance. Um, and this just simply just goes to, you know, some of the things that we have done here at the church. For, for many years, we had a AA meeting and an NA meeting. 
Um, and I think as elders, certainly we appreciate what's occurring, but certainly understand that uh, without a first and a foremost recognition of our need for a savior and, and certainly rooting any behavior change, not just simply out of just, hey, we're just changing my behavior, but that it's born out of what the gospel says, uh, despite our sinfulness, despite our brokenness, that we are made new, that that then is the heart, right? That then causes us to be able to deal with those addictions and those things that it was kind of lacking. Um, and, you know, really, again, to, to Gene Schwarren's credit, um, and certainly some of the programs uh, with other churches that also recognize that, CBC, Community Bible Church up here, uh, the larger church on the, off the highway, they are hosting uh, what's called uh, Regeneration Recovery in Christ. Uh, that program, we just simply want to highlight it, right? So if you do know those that are struggling uh, with addiction, we certainly want to highlight that and want to make you uh, aware of it so that you can then coordinate with us as the elders so that we can get the necessary uh, coordination of getting you to those meetings. And certainly we are thankful for, for that ministry and the opportunity to partner with uh, CBC on that. All right, the last announcement for today, even though she's not here, I just want to simply encourage you all. Remember, Faye turned 90, Faye Lehman. Um, we called her, apparently she wasn't able to come today, but we certainly want to highlight that. So if you could, phone calls, right, letters, certainly no faith, loves to receive those. Not every day does somebody turn 90, and she is a dear saint, and we certainly want to encourage her. So please, this week, if you have the time and the ability, please send Faye a card and wish her a happy birthday. All right, with that... All the wonderful announcements are done. Now we get to worship, which I hope is the whole point why we're here. So if you could please stand. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 12 today. Right? The context of this verse, right? It's foreseeing the day, right? The future. Uh, we know right now, right? This is a broken world, but there will come a day where we will get to worship. And the joy that comes from that salvation. Uh, the beautiful part of this little chapter, right, there's two U's. The first U is singular. The second U is the whole covenant together, right? Worshiping and being thankful for this God who doesn't change, right? That's the beautiful thing about what we know is to come, right? When the Lord promises, it's going to happen. And sometimes that's hard to see, but it, it will come. There will be a day where all things will be made new. There will be no more tears. There will be no more sin. I don't know about you, that's good, good news. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 12. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout, and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel.
Gloria. 
Pause for just a moment and look to the Lord in prayer. I have the privilege this morning of leading us to the throne of grace. So let's bow our heads together and talk to our Father. Our Heavenly Father, we join the psalmist this morning when he declared, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. The sounds of gladness have been heard through the singing and the fellowship the joy that you've put in our hearts. We pray this morning as our brother opens the word of God to us that there will be a gladness in our soul to receive that word and then do our best to put it into practice. You're a good God and a faithful God. You're allowing us to gather together one more Sabbath day, one more Lord's Day where you are the focus of our lives. We thank you for our congregation. We are like many congregations with great needs, but you're a great God. And Paul says that you're able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or think according to the power of Jesus Christ in your church. So we thank you for being here with us. And our Father, our needs are many. In addition to the many that have been brought forth in the last few weeks, we want to add Wendy, who's going in for a tooth being removed. To those of us who are older, it may not seem like a big thing, but to a five-year-old, it's a very big thing. So we pray that you would quiet her heart, be with the doctors and those who are going to care for her, be with mom and dad as well, and we pray that this will be successful, the tooth will be removed, and the healing will take place quickly. Lord, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to minister to children, whether it's in our weekly Sunday school or the VBS coming up. Father God, we know that many times at a young age, hearts are drawn to you and lives are committed to your service. Father, I ask you this morning that out of our congregation and from our community, you will call another William Carey and another Charles Spurgeon and a Susanna Wesley and those who have made great impacts for the kingdom of God. Lord, bless the teachers. Help them to understand how vital and important their labors are. 
And I pray that you would bless them. Lord, how sad it would be that a child would grow up in new hope and hear the gospel over and over again and never trust in Christ. Lord, let that not happen, we pray. Sweep across our ministry to children and birth them into your family and call them into your service and send them to the farthest corners of the earth, Lord, where people have never heard your name, have never heard the name of Jesus one time, have no access whatsoever. Lord, do that, we pray, by your grace and for your glory. Lord, I pray that we as a congregation will never forget why we're here. We are here to worship you this morning, and then as we leave this building, it should be our focus and our aim to make disciples, telling others about Christ, many who are lost, many, many who are lost, and we rub shoulders with them. Lord, burden our hearts for them. Give us opportunities to speak a word for the, for the sake of the gospel, and may they come to know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray this morning for the message that's going to come forth for our brother Dave, that you would anoint him with your spirit, that you would speak through him to us. We are needy. We're always needy. This morning we're that way again. But we know that your word is able to feed us and as your people to challenge us. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that's not a Christian, oh, that this would be the day of salvation for them. And maybe the gladness that we have expressed so far will be heard from their lips as they declare, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Lord, we pray for our pastors, Pastor Mike and Pastor Sam, as they're away. We ask that you'd refresh them and strengthen them, bless their times with their family. We pray especially for Pastor Sam that these would be days of refreshment, that you would bring both of them back to us safely and uh, just energize and revive their hearts and their focus on ministry. We thank you for them. You have given them to us as gifts, and we, we treasure them and thank you for them. Lord, I pray for, especially this morning, that crisis in Florida where those buildings collapsed. Oh, God, can't look at those pictures, but what my heart is broken. We know how many have been saved, but we know how many are missing. And Lord, those that are missing and maybe gone from this earth, we, we don't know how many of them didn't know you and they're separated from you for all of eternity. God, we pray for their families. We pray that your name will be praised in that cleanup and the work that's going on. Give the mayor and the governor wisdom and the care workers and the first responders, Lord, give them, give them insight. May they hear noises that they wouldn't have normally heard and may many come out of that rubble alive. We bless you, Lord, for what you're going to do. And then, Lord, this morning I want to pray for the persecuted church around the world. There's so many countries we could pray for, but this morning I want to focus my attention on India. Lord, India is going through a tremendously difficult time. They have been for a long time with poverty and with COVID, and Lord, there's just so much going on. And in addition to that, tribes of evil men and people are running into villages and they're, they're destroying families and homes and churches and lives and brutally treating them. Lord, I pray for the pastors in those cities. How hard that would be. You can't even get out of your own home because of COVID and your heart is burdened for your people. Lord, be with those brothers. Strengthen them. Give them wisdom as they take the gospel to the remote parts of the earth. 
Help them not to be fearful or dismayed. Your promises, I am your God. Oh, fear not, be not dismayed. For I am your God and I will still give you aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my sovereign, omnipotent hand. Lord, help them as they uphold others. And those who hear their message, we pray that many will come to know you as Savior and Lord in India. Massive crowds of people all perishing without Jesus unless they hear the gospel. So bless our brothers in the ministry, those who are laboring for your sake and for your glory. Lord, thank, us. thank you for letting us be here. We, we don't count it lightly. We don't take it very lightly. This is a privilege beyond description. So you be glorified this morning, Father. Help us to see ourselves before an audience of one. And let the words of our mouth the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray. Stand and sing.
Glory be to God, the Spirit. 
Good morning, everyone. It is so good to see you. Uh, I just wanted to take a moment and thank uh, our brother Gene for his word last week. I've been thinking all week about so great a salvation. And uh, we continue that theme of salvation today as we study the life of Noah, or part of the life of Noah. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 6. If you see in the bulletin uh, that I'm going to be preaching out of four chapters, I'm, I'm not going to read it right now. Uh, we'll refer to some verses as we move along. As always, it is an extreme honor and privilege to stand before you, to open God's word, to listen as he speaks, to have our hearts opened. This uh, sermon really came out of a couple of things. One, uh, realizing that for the summer anyway, the kindergartners through fourth graders are here in the service with us, not in Sunday school. And two, uh, a number of years ago, I, I taught a Sunday school class. It was called A Summer with Jesus. And uh, it was an adult Sunday school class, and we went through all those stories in the gospel that uh, we might have had as children in Sunday school and looked at them through a different lens, a uh, more mature lens. And the following summer, I, I taught a, a Sunday school class called A Summer in the Old Testament, where we did the exact same thing. We looked at some of those uh, stories from the Old Testament. And, uh, and looked at them through a fresh lens. Uh, and we're going to look at one today, uh, one that's very familiar to everybody, young and old, uh, the story of Noah and the flood. We're actually going to do this in the context of three floods. Uh, and, uh, but before I start that, uh, let me just uh, pause with a word of prayer. Father God, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So whenever you're talking about the Old Testament, um, there's a lot of study involved, contextual study. And I am very proud to announce that in my study, extensive study and research, I have discovered, uncovered, Noah's last name. Uh, everyone's waiting for it. If Matt were up here, I would ask for a drum roll. <laughs> His last name is Zark. So today we talk about Noah Zark. I know, that's bad. Um, they get worse as we go. I want to look at Noah, first of all, in context. And that context is found in chapter 5, actually. His name means uh, bring us relief and from our painful work and painful toil. His name means comfort. His name means rest. 
His father was Lamech, and his grandfather was Methuselah. You've probably heard of him. And his great-grandfather was Enoch, and you've probably heard of him, too. A few things about his great-grandfather, Enoch. One, he also walked with God, as it says Noah walked with God. And uh, it also says that he never died, that the Lord, quote-unquote, took him, and he just disappeared, I guess. Now, a little-known fact is, uh, that I'm going to reveal today is that he also invented the Enoch-Enoch jokes, which later became knock-knock jokes. Uh, and, uh, for instance, Enoch-Enoch, who's there? Seth. Seth who? Seth, my great-great-grandpappy, that's who. Enoch's... Uh, Enoch was Noah's great-grandfather, and Enoch's great-great-great-great-grandfather was none other than Adam. So now we're seeing this story sort of in context here. We're not that far from Adam, but far enough. When we meet Noah here, uh, he's 500 years old. That's pretty old. Uh, we're introduced to him because he fathers three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, they weren't triplets. Uh, we're just told that when he's 500 years old and after, he has three sons. And as we move into chapter 6, then, we learn two things. In verse 5, we see... The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. <clears throat> That's the first thing we see as we move into chapter 6. The second thing we see is in verses 8 and 9. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his generation. He walked with God. And we're going to look at this account today in three contexts. Uh, creation, Noah's time, and our current context. And I've outlined our study in this way. Three floods. A flood of evil, a flood of judgment, and a flood of grace. Today we're going to be looking more at the principles and the lessons that we can pull out of this rather than the minutia of the details of how big and wide the ark was and what in the world is gopher wood. Uh, so let's dive into the first flood and make a splash. Sorry, I told you they don't get any better. But, you know, this story has been swimming around in my head for a long time. Uh, I've been flooded with ideas about what I could possibly say to you. And uh, I guess it's too many dad jokes left over from last week. Uh, so let's really dive in. A flood of evil. Chapter 6 through chapter 7, verse 16. In chapter 6, verse 5 and 11, 
we see the earth was corrupt and filled with violence. We're told twice that the earth was filled with violence. And contrast that with the creation's account. If you look in Genesis chapter 1, verses 3, 9, 12, 18, 21, 25, and 31, we learn that everything was good, and God saw it, and it was good. Everything. That's the one repeated theme in Genesis chapter 1. And now, just ten generations later, the complete opposite. A spiraling downward of evil. Consider that Matthew tells us from Abraham to David, there were 14 generations. And from David to the captivity in Babylon, there were 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon to Christ... There were 14 generations. That's 42 generations. Now think of all the generations from Christ to 2021. When we see in just 10 generations, we've gone from everything is good to a flood of evil. Think of all those generations. A downward spiral. We're living in a time like Noah's flood with a flood of evil in the world. One paraphrase of a, a, a Bible um, was from Genesis, started out, now the world was a wreck. And that's what it was. Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it appears that it is evident and becoming more evident that evil has been the choice through the generations. They rejected God and were in open rebellion. But isn't that really a description of all sin, including our sin? Open rebellion. The consequences aren't always immediate, but they are always inevitable. Now, here's a thought that I have been working on and trying to develop uh, maybe I'll write a book about it. No, it's just one sentence, actually. But I've been trying to prove it true in the Bible, prove it true biblically, and in my own life. And here's the thought. The first sign of judgment is when God gives us what we want. The first sign of judgment is when God gives us what we want. So, so far, I have found support for this in the life of Abraham. Remember him? He wanted an heir. He had been promised an heir. And God allows Hagar to conceive, setting up the nation of the Ishmaelites. And technically, that nation is still causing problems today. Uh, the life of Lot. God gave Lot what he wanted, the special land, the good land. But in it were two cities. Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot found himself in them. The life of Joseph, remember God allowed his brothers to sell him, and that ultimately set up uh, their salvation, but also 400 years of slavery. The life of Isaac, he wanted the, an illegitimate blessing, and he got it. And Genesis 26, 34 tells us, that after that, life was bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. 
the life of Moses, people wanted a physical God to worship. And so while Moses is on Mount Sinai, they're allowed to make a golden calf. And think of the consequences of that. The entering of the promised land, what did the people want to do? They didn't want to go in, too many giants. They wanted to go back to Egypt. And so they wandered in the wilderness for another 40 years until that generation had passed away. When you look at the judges, people were allowed to disobey. Parking lot theology, as I call it, ruled the day. Parking lot theology is everyone did what was right in their own eyes. You ever notice that about a parking lot? There's no rules. You just do what's right in your own eyes. Drive wherever you want. If you want to take up three spaces, do so. That's the judges. And so each judge saved them from some calamity, but only for a period of time. The kings, the people wanted a human king, even though God told them through Samuel what would happen if they got a human king. 1 Samuel 8.10, if you wanted to look at that. And that's exactly what happened when they asked for a human king. God wanted to be their king, but he gave them what they wanted. The first sign of judgment is when God gives us what we want. I think in my own life, when I was a freshman in college, I wanted a girlfriend. And uh, I chose one who seemed to be uh, a Christian. She came to the Christian fellowship anyway. But as I got to know her, I found out she was actually in a cult. And, uh, you know, it's hard sharing your faith with an unbeliever, especially one entrapped in a cult. And when she had a huge public moral failure, uh, my reputation as a leader in the Christian fellowship at college was damaged. Later, when I wasn't even looking, Joanne showed up as a blessing. It's clear from scripture that sin is sin. You all know that. Little white lies are just as heinous to God as big red ones. Because, as we sang, God is holy. You alone are holy. Sin is rebellion. And the biblical truth is that sin will not go unchecked forever. Thinking that sin will not go unchecked is fatal to your walk with God. The beginning of judgment is when God gives us what we want. It's easy to look around in our world today and see a flood of evil. The reason is simple. Jeremiah 17.9 says, the, the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Bringing the flood of evil forward. The solution is simple to all of this. We don't need an ark. We need Christ. We need Jesus. Yesterday I gave the men in the men's small group a small pamphlet, an old pamphlet written by Robert Munger. It's called My Heart, Christ's Home. It, start, it starts with Paul's teaching in Ephesians 3, verses 16 and 17, where he says that Christ wants to dwell in our hearts by faith. 
From there, he uses this dwelling picture as if our heart was a home that we had invited Christ into. And if so, what would, what would he find? He talks about the various rooms in our heart, the library, the study where our mind dwells. It's where we invite Christ to bring every thought into captivity. The dining room of our heart is where we invite Christ to feed us. He says that the meat we must eat is to do the will of the Father. The food and, that food and drink will satisfy. The drawing room or the parlor is where we entertain Christ. We invite him there daily. We want to get together with him, to talk with him, to learn. And that's where he waits for us each day. The bedroom is where we invite Christ to sanctify all of our relationships. And when we find that we ha all we have is Christ, then we have it all. The workshop is where our talents, gifts, and skills are kept so that we can serve God, Christ, and produce for him. We invite Christ's spirit, the master worker, to help us use the tools that he has given us. Now, personally, I often am called wrong tool Dave. Uh, my father was a craftsman. My brother is great with his hands. I got straight A's. Um, I, I was not good with my hands and still am not good with my hands. And I always seem to have the wrong tool for whatever job I'm doing. And that's akin to doing ministry in your own strength. Learn to use the tools that the Spirit has given you. The rec room is where we invite Christ into the other areas of our lives, our associations, our entertainment, our activities, and our amusements. And then there's the hall closet. It's locked. This is where all our secret things are kept. We need to invite Christ to take the key and open the closet and clean it out. A deep cleaning. You see, either Christ and his righteousness will be on the throne of your heart, or you will. If you are on the throne, you will be in a downward spiral of evil, a flood of evil. So in our story, we see this great flood of evil, and God purposes to correct it. I think I've told this story before, but it's worth repeating. My grown kids still bring this up to my face about the day I actually threatened to pull the car over and pulled the car over. It was on the way home from church, believe it or not, and they were just annoying me to no end. They were bugging each other, they were touching each other, and uh, I kept threatening to pull the car over. Don't make me pull the car over. And finally, I could take it no more, and I pulled the car over, and I screamed at the top of my lungs, that's enough. And for a moment, I got the result I was looking for. There was silence, dead silence. 
And then, starting with my beloved wife and going to the whole car, the whole car just erupted in laughter. Because I had never screamed. They had never heard me yell. The day Dad pulled the car over. Well, if you will allow, God has purposed in our story to pull the car over in a big way. He will flood the earth. But Noah and his family will be preserved. Why? Well, in verse 9 of chapter 6, we learn that Noah had a special relationship with God and special revelation from God. Remember Noah's name? Relief, rest, comfort. He found all this in God. He walked with God. Noah was called righteous because he conformed to God's standards and expectations. He walked with God. Christ is our righteousness so that we can walk with God. He had faith. In short, he was obedient. What God was looking for in people was evident in Noah. What about us? Is Christ evident in our lives to God, to other people? Noah was also called blameless. It's got a concept of completeness. And so Noah found favor with God. Think about that. Think about your life. Are you living in the favor of God? Would you like to live in the favor of God? What does that even look like? Well, if you look down at verse 22 of chapter 6, we see a clue as to how Noah was found in the favor of God. He was told to build an ark, and he was given all the specifications. And verse 22 says that Noah did this. He did all, all that God had commanded him. Now, I'm going to use an illustration of someone I hesitate to use an illustration of, but... I'm going to go back a ways and talk about Bill Cosby, the young Bill Cosby, not the Bill Cosby most of you might remember. But back in the day when I was a little kid, Bill Cosby, uh, he was a comedian, and uh, he put out a record. For those of you who don't understand that, that's vinyl. That's a vinyl, okay? <laughs> it's an album. And comedians didn't have YouTube or Facebook or whatever. They had to produce records like singers would. And so he had a whole record of his comedy sketches. And one of them was about him as Noah. And uh, when the scene opens, uh, Noah is in his workshop with a saw and... Uh, I think it goes like this, Zhuba, 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 bing. Noah, this is God. I want you to build me an ark. And Noah says, right, what's an ark? Noah had no idea about arks. 
I, I don't believe he even had an idea about rain in those days. The earth was watered a different way. But Noah did all that God commanded him. That's how we live in a flood of evil. We obey. We put Christ on the throne of our hearts. We make him at home in our hearts. We walk with God. And so Noah builds the ark according to God's specifications. And we're told in chapter 7, verse 16, and God shuts the door. God closes the door on a flood of evil, and so begins the second flood, a flood of judgment. That's found in chapter 7, 17 to 24. The second point is about the Lord's judgment, but more importantly, it's about the Lord's salvation. That's what this story is about, amen? If I were to say to you, after you prayed a certain prayer, congratulations, you are now an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. What would have just happened? Why, you would have become a Christian. You would have prayed a prayer to be saved. You would have prayed and invited Christ into your heart to make his home in your heart. Listen to the words of Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Now, a lot has been made about the closing and the opening of this door in the ark. One thing we know for sure is that God shut the door before the flood. And to my way of reading uh, chapter 8, verse 18, it appears that Noah opens the door to a whole new world. The ark definitely represents salvation. For that is what it did for Noah. In fact, in verse 7 of chapter 7, it, we're told that Noah went into the ark to escape the flood, to be saved. And this was after bearing faithful witness to his generation and being righteous before his neighbors and God. Just like his great grandfather, Enoch, he walked with God. His life was in sharp contrast to the wickedness around him. He preached to the world about the inevitable judgment and uh, just by building the ark, which, by the way, took him 100 years to build. 100 years, that was 20% of his life spent in building this ark. You know, I believe very sincerely that we here at New Hope Christian Fellowship are called to be God's ark in Marietta. We're called to the same lifestyle of obedience, righteousness, blamelessness, and walking in favor with God and man, and to preach the good news 
the gospel, that there is salvation in Jesus Christ. We always need to be mindful that the beginning of judgment is when God gives us what we want. Think about it in your own heart and mind. What is it that you want? And so we move into chapter 8 with some very, very, very sweet words. That was a quick point, you got to admit. The first point was a little long, but point number two is over. What are the sweet words? And God remembered Noah. And we begin to see our next point, a flood of grace. Think about verse 1 for a minute. We are transitioning now from judgment to grace. And God remembered Noah. Four words. Isn't that awesome to think about? I was trying to think about other times when people were remembered. I thought about Joseph who was in the prison. And remember, he had helped the cupbearer. And he asked the cupbearer, when you go before the king, remember me. And it took him two years to remember him. But think about when Joseph was remembered and was released from prison and restored. Think about how sweet that must have been. And remember the thief on the cross. We don't know much about him at all. But he asked to be remembered when Christ came into his kingdom. And he heard some very sweet words. Think about dying on a cross and hearing today, you will be with me in paradise. And remember your own life, if you're a believer, before you were a Christian. If it's true, and I believe it is, that he chose you before the foundation of the world, then there comes a time in our very own history when God remembers, when he steps into our life in a new and creative way. Yeah, kids love this story because of the ark and the flood and the animals and the rainbow. But the much larger theme of this story is the saving grace of God and this sovereign control, his sovereignty over us and over all of creation. And so as Noah and his collection leave the ark, Noah is rightfully very thankful. He was remembered by God himself. Noah knew better than anyone in the world. Noah knew better than anyone in the whole world. Well, considering there's only seven other people in the whole world besides Noah. But he knew the most. That every moment he lived, every breath he took, was an experience of the awesome grace of God. Is it any less with us? Is it any less? Noah knew fully and completely about the sovereign control of God over life and death. Do we? Do we really believe it? 
or do we just sing about it? Are they just words? Do we see the sovereign control of God in our lives today? It's easy, seemingly, in hindsight, to look back and see the sovereign hand of God in your life, but we need to be looking today, in the present, for the sovereign control of God in our lives. Is God in control today? We need to be walking with God in the present, not just looking back to see where he has moved. Now, those of you who have kids who are older than two, remember the day that you turned the car seat around in the back seat and they could finally look forward. It, it's as if a whole new world had been opened to them. They could see around them and they could see where they were going after having spent two plus years looking behind and seeing what was in the rearview mirror, you. What I'm trying to say is, turn your car seat around. Get some perspective on the sovereign control of God in your life now. Yes, use the things of the past where God has worked and moved to confirm that his promises are true and will be true in the future and in the present. So Noah, well, I guess what I'm saying is walk with God. Walk with him. Don't just look back. So Noah worships, and he makes a sacrifice to God, and it's pleasing to God. You understand the pressure Noah was in? He's going to make a sacrifice to God, but if it's not pleasing, he just saw what happens when God pulled the car over, right? All of humanity perished. But God was pleased with his sacrifice. But wait, there's more. Not only was God pleased with his sacrifice, but he decides that he will make a covenant with Noah and with all of creation. In many ways, it's a covenant of recreation and a promised blessing for obedience. And the sign of the covenant, we all know, is the rainbow. Look at uh, verse 13. I have set my bow in the clouds. Now I'm going to ask a question. Whose bow? God's bow. I have set my bow in the clouds. I think God has made it clear who set the rainbow in the clouds, whose it is, and what it signifies. Romans chapter 1, verse 25, is being clearly acted out today, and particularly this month. It says there that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Now, there's a church on Marriott Avenue that we pass every Sunday down in the Roarstown area. We pass it every Sunday on our way to church. And there's a big rainbow flag attached to the sign. 
Of all the things for their church to be saying to visitors, they have chosen to say to everyone who comes here, we welcome you. Well, that's a good start. We say the same thing. <laughs> Tim gave you a welcome, right? We accept you just the way you are. And to a degree, as you come in, we accept you just the way you are. But then there's, and we affirm you, your lifestyle, as your truth and your identity. And we have chosen the rainbow with its diversity of colors to say all of this. They have tried to hijack God's rainbow and have exchanged the truth of God for a big fat lie. Our identity isn't in who we think we are or feel. It's not in our gender or race or color, and the list could go on, or who, even who we feel we are. Our identity is that we are bearers of the image of God. That's our identity as humans. We bear the image of God. And we can still see the rainbow today, God's bow. And we can believe that according to Genesis 9.16, that God remembers. The world can't steal the rainbow. It's clearly God's and always will be. I think of Joanne's, uh, Joanne has a watch band, and it has the colors of the rainbow on it. And she uh, thought for a moment about whether she should wear it this month to work. She's a nurse. And then she decided, in covenant with herself, that she will proudly wear it and say that it reminds me of the promises of God to me that he always keeps. Promises of love, promises of rescue, promises of grace, of sovereign control, promises of faithfulness, and on and on and on. Promise upon promise upon promise in our lives. Peter, in his first book, compares the ark to baptism and being raised to new life out of the waters and coming out of the ark to a new life. Clearly, there's only one gospel, and Jesus is that door. He's our only hope. He rescues us. He saves us. He does this in every way possible to be rescued and saved in our own lives. Christ does this for us. You know, knowing about the ark in Noah's time saved no one. You had to be on the ark, in the ark, to be saved. Just as you had to be, you have to be in Christ Jesus, to be walking with him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. And looking back and studying this passage, it's become interesting to me to see how this account has all the elements of the creation story from Genesis 1. It's, in essence, a recreation story, a recreation account. In Genesis, we learn that in the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth, and we learn that the Spirit was hovering over the waters. And in the flood account, we see that after the flood happened, that there came a great wind, wind and spirit. That's the same word. And it's the wind that blows and uh, starts to work in drying up the flood. In creation, we see day one, light created. In recreation, we see Noah removing the covering, exposing the light of day. Day two, the heavens were separated, the heavens and the earth, and sky was put in between. In, in the recreation story, God stops the rains from above and the wells underneath. That's how the flood was created. It rained, and the wells of water from underneath came up and flooded the earth. And the sky is once more visible. Day three of creation, vegetation. Remember, Noah sends out the dove, and the dove finally brings back an olive branch. And Noah knew then that vegetation was growing. Day four, the sun, the moon, and the stars. They weren't destroyed in the flood, but they weren't visible. And so now in our story, the, the sun, the moon, and the stars are visible. Day five, the fish and the birds. Remember Noah releasing the birds, and day six, living creatures were created, and Noah and the animals emerged from the ark to a whole new world. God's recreation, literally as we compare the two chapters of a new earth, a new start, a new beginning, a flood of grace. So we've seen the elements of God's grace and covenant love to Noah and to all who would follow. That's us. We see them still today. Noah found favor with God by being obedient and walking with God in righteousness and before his generation. He had a special relationship with God and special revelation from God. Well, guess what? So do we. We have a special relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have special revelation from God in the word of God, just as Noah did. We have all we need to live in a flood of evil, to survive as a flood of judgment begins, because there will be an ultimate judgment. And just as those who didn't get on the ark in Noah's time perished, those who aren't in Christ will perish. If that's you today, I implore you to come to Christ for salvation, for rescue. Just as there was only one ark, and that was the gospel to Noah, there's only one gospel today. The one gospel in which Christ is calling us to be a new creation in him. And not just for salvation. He wants all of our lives to be recreated. Just like those rooms in my heart, Christ's home. We live in a world flooded with evil. 
We live in a world flooded with the beginnings of judgment. But we also live in a world flooded with grace through Jesus Christ. He opens the door so that we can enjoy sweet fellowship with him. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your sovereign grace. Thank you that we don't have to offer a pleasing sacrifice to make you happy. We come clothed in the righteousness of Christ himself. Great is your faithfulness to us who don't deserve it at all. Help us to live in this land flooded with evil. Thank you for rainbows and the fact that you remember us. We bless you and are thankful that morning by morning, new mercies we see. Great is your faithfulness in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.
benediction is from Genesis chapter 9. This is the sign of the covenant that I will make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I will set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When the bow in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature. Go in the peace that comes with being remembered by God. Amen.